Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 337, and we're talking about Jerusalem. That's right. It's going to be a great show. I was up there two weeks ago. It was two or three weeks ago. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, and we had a great time. But in between then and now, we've been up to uh, a little bit as well. After being mainly sedentary in Auckland for the last few months, we're officially on the road again. Cue Willie Nelson. (laughs) I don't know about mainly sedentary. While we were in Auckland, we also went up to Russell, went down to Gisborne, we went to Papamoa, we travelled around a lot. We talk about being in one place, but we're not actually very good at it. But anyway, we have left our home city of Auckland and... Actually, right now we're in Hanmer Springs. So we went down to Christchurch to visit Craig's parents and they said, we're going on holiday. So uh, we drove up here yesterday and we're going to be here for one more night. Then we're going back down to Christchurch. Then we're going to Queenstown and we're going to walk the Milford Track, which is one of New Zealand's great walks. And we're ridiculously excited. We'll talk more about that at the end of the show and I'm sure in the near future. But yeah, so for the next few days, we're here in Hanmer. Looking forward to doing a bit of hiking, soaking in the hot pools, which makes this area famous, and just enjoying the lovely alpine views and freezing alpine temperatures. (laughs) Our sponsor for this episode is Alliance Global Assistance. So tell me, Craig, when you went to Jerusalem, did you get travel insurance? Yes, Linda, I did. (laughs) And why did you get travel insurance, Craig? Because I'm not foolish. (laughs) doing like... I don't know, six flights over seven days, and uh, yeah, I wanted everything to arrive and and go well, and I didn't want to be stranded if any of those connections missed. And then I was going to be in Jerusalem, which, although I was assured was safe, I hear bad stories in the news about that border all the time, so I thought it was a good idea. I think it was definitely a good idea. It's interesting, though, because people will always get travel insurance when there's a perceived threat, right? When you're going somewhere where you hear stories about things going wrong. But it's always a good idea to get travel insurance. I mean, the first things you talked about were having flights and things going missing. It wasn't your your safety, right? And that kind of thing can go wrong on any kind of trip. Yeah, and for me, it's it's always the, the medical and get out of town as fast as you can tickets that are the important bits of travel insurance, not the protection against having things stolen or broken. Yeah. Alliance's policies all include protection against uh, baggage going missing as well as trip cancellation and interruption. So if you're getting travel insurance, make sure to read your policy carefully before you travel to make sure you understand exactly what you're covered for. So yeah, this week we are talking about Jerusalem, and it's a city that I am newly excited about. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it too, which is why I'm a bit annoyed that I didn't get to go. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about Craig's trip to Jerusalem and how awesome that was for him. And everyone knows what a great storyteller I am, so this is going to be an awesome episode. (laughs) All right, well, let's get started by talking about some general, I don't know, background information about Jerusalem. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, there's a lot of politics wrapped up in any tourism decision, but I feel like Israel and Jerusalem in particular is much more of a hot point than some other areas. So I want to say right at the beginning of the show, yet we'll be mentioning politics, yet we'll be mentioning religion, uh, because they're intrinsically tied to the region. But that's not going to be the focus. I mean, I studied the politics of the region as part of politics in the media papers at university. I've done postgraduate papers in biblical studies, so all of that Abrahamic religion stuff is tied up there. 
So that obviously influenced some of the decisions I made and also my take on, you know, absolutely everything. But we're not going to be spending the show kind of unpicking all of the history or getting into any of the politics. So no matter what your religious or political beliefs, um, relax and enjoy this show and maybe come away with a, a different view as a place to, to go and travel to. Okay, so why were you in Jerusalem in the first place? Yeah, it seems kind of crazy to jump from Auckland to Israel and back again in a in a week, right? Yeah, I was, especially leaving <laughs> your wife behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was there for a travel conference called TBEX, or Travel Bloggers Exchange, and it's a new media conference. So it's uh, people in blogging and social media influence and videography uh, all coming together to talk shop, basically, for a few days. And then the local tourism groups and uh, tourism operators come along and, and get involved as well. Yeah, we've been to a couple of TBXs. I think we went to the second one ever in New York. And then a couple of years ago, we were also in Dublin, which was really awesome. Yeah, and Costa Brava as well. Oh, and Costa so, Brava, yeah. yeah we've, we've got around them a bit. And so it was nice to be uh, invited up. So I was there as a guest of TBX. They paid the fares, flew me up to speak. So thanks to all of the uh, conference sponsors. And I was specifically a guest of the Mamilla Hotel, uh, which is just outside the Jaffa Gate in Old Town Jerusalem. And it's uh, an experience in itself. So we'll be talking a bit more about that later in the show. But thanks to everyone that brought me up. So it was a pretty long flight, right? I think I took you to the airport and dropped you off. And then I thought, well, there's no point even expecting to hear from you until I think I dropped you off at 2 p.m., and I wasn't going to hear from you until like 9 p.m. the next day. So it was about 30 hours of flying. Yeah, it was pretty huge. Uh, it was from Auckland up to an Asian stopover. I think on the way up was Bangkok and the way back was Singapore or vice versa. And then up to uh, Istanbul and then out of Istanbul and into uh, Tel Aviv. So that was pretty, pretty mad. And then jumped in a car for another hour, hour and a half to actually get into Jerusalem. So you can imagine by the time I arrived at the hotel, <laughs> I was just sitting there going, oh, 11 hours plus 11 or 12 hours plus one and a half hours plus one and a half hours. I was pretty, pretty nuked by the time that I arrived. Yeah. And you arrived when you arrived, it was something like 9 p.m. our time. So it was time to go to bed, more or less, except for that it was 10 in the morning. Jerusalem time. Yeah, yeah. And so I came up with some new hints for dealing with jet lag. Okay, Yeah. Uh, number one, you've got to make sure that when you're greeted in the hotel lobby and you can't get into your room because you've arrived like three hours before check-in, you have to make sure you're greeted by a Liverpudlian who's lived in South Africa and Greece mm. and then proceed to talk about the cricket, the rugby, you know, and, and all, all the important things for an hour or so while drinking coffee before that's, you're allowed into your hotel room. That's a really good practical tip that I think everyone can take and, and, and go with. Yeah, one, yeah. Right? That's a good one. It, yeah. it got, me, got me really geared up and, uh -huh. and ready for the, the rest of the day. Uh -huh. It was good. Awesome. It was good. <laughs> so, yeah, because uh, we're there for the event, there were lots of things going on. There were tours arranged. There were dinners and drinks. And there was a whole bunch of people that I'd met through travel blogging over the last 
how long have we been doing this now? 11, 12 years? Mm. Uh, all sorts of people, as well as lots and lots of new faces and, and new people I hadn't met before. So it was intrinsically linked to to meeting up with people, almost everything I did, which is quite unusual for me as an introvert. So Jerusalem, I guess we could divide up into two parts. There's the the old city, the historical center, and then the new city, which is where most people live and work who are outside of the tourism industry. But there's still, according to the guide, I haven't fact-checked any of the figures in this show, uh, according to the guide, there's still about 40,000, 45,000 people that live in the old city, and it's only about one square kilometer. So just like if you've, I don't know, been to a souk in Morocco or something like that, where everyone's really kind of in close together, kind of shoulder to shoulder, mm -hmm. it's much more that feeling than a historical town, say, uh, something like Dubrovnik, where the city itself is empty apart from tourists. Mm -hmm. It still really feels lived in and vibrant and, you know, mm -hmm. people are there living their life. Like at one point we walked through a plaza and there were all of the school kids. That that public plaza was their, their schoolyard. Wow. Right? And so all the kids are out from school playing football and like having their sitting break. around having their lunch break. Yeah. And we're kind of walking through the middle of their, awesome. their football game. And so, yeah, it still very much feels feels vibrant and alive. It's not a, a dead, museumified mm -hmm. old town. And does it feel like has it got, got quite narrow streets and lots of people out in the streets all the time, or is it? How does it feel when you're walking around it? Yeah, yeah, it's very. You're you're very quickly in these areas, which are yeah, very very narrow, very high walls, kind of two to three stories, and you're you're just in it, you know, mm -hmm. in the middle of it. And it's all very hilly, like um, the the Temple Mount was built on a small mountain. I guess Makes we'd sense. call it a, a large hill. And then where Christ was crucified was on a hill just outside of town. And so everything's kind of in the valley and the hill around this. And where King David's buried is kind of on a hill on the other side. So uh -huh. it's it's in this confluence in this hilly region. So you're yeah, up and down all the time. But it's tiny. Like mm -hmm. one one square kilometer, one and a half square kilometers were some of the numbers I heard going around as the old town. Yeah. So yeah, these aren't really mountains as you might imagine them. Mounds, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're saying Especially with everything built up over, you know, a couple of thousand years. Mm -hmm. So you're saying the old town was divided up into four sections, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So there's four different quarters, and they're not symmetrical. They're in different sizes. There's about 30,000 out of that 40 or 45,000 people are uh, Muslims. So the Muslim population, the Muslim quarter is by far the biggest. Uh, and then there's the, the Jewish quarter, the Christian quarter, and the Armenian quarter. And so you've got all of these different groups that have arrived in the city at some point. And uh, they're they're still going. Their culture's still alive. Like mm -hmm. the the Romans have gone now, but you know, <laughs> like it's it's a city that's really been invaded and reinvaded and settled and resettled mm -hmm. so many times. And when you walk from one quarter to another quarter, do you really feel a big difference? In some areas, yes. Um, like the architecture's a bit different, but in some areas, you you just don't notice it mm -hmm. and in other areas you really do like but one of the 
divides between the Christian and the Muslim quarter is a, a covered market. Okay. And so you're going from, you know, from one area into a market. And uh-huh. so you really feel that big difference there, right? Is the market on the Christian side or the Muslim side? I think it's the Muslim side. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then that leads on to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre on the other side of that. Okay. And so it's kind of, I don't know. It's hard to explain without a map. I'm waving my hands around in the air uselessly. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so it's kind of weird because, you know, that question in itself reminds me of a lot of the questions, a lot of the subtext of conversations that I had there, which is that people understand who you are based on your religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so I found that really strongly, not so much in talking with tour guides or things like that and and looking at things but having conversations with people over meals people would say things like oh i'm i'm christian but that doesn't have a big effect on my day-to-day life or yeah i'm muslim but i'm treated well by the jewish authorities and i feel like i'm treated fairly or i don't feel that mm-hmm. and but every conversation around everyday life always started with a religious identity. Mm. And that's not something we do here in New Zealand. It's not something I'm used to. You know, like I went to a Catholic primary school and so there was this thing of, okay, so this is the Catholic school and over there's the the public school and Mm -hmm. there's something different. But it wasn't, that still wasn't a primary identifier. Yeah. Yeah. So I found that really, uh, yeah, really interesting. And that's kind of symbolized in the way that the city's quartered. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Armenians. Tell me a bit about that. Okay, so, yeah, I guess most people have heard of, uh, of Muslims and Jews and, and Christians. Yep, I've heard of Armenia um, as well. <laughs> and so <laughs> Armenia was the first country in the world to officially convert to Christianity. They were on the edges of the Roman Empire. They were part of it, but still holding their own identity, still hadn't been fully consumed by the by the propaganda machine. Yeah, they were the, the first country to convert to Christianity. It was kind of a big middle finger to the, the Roman powers where it was still kind of illegal and, and ostracized to be Christian because mm-hmm. it represented this kind of political kickback, right? And so, yeah, so they, they went and converted to Christianity and then very quickly sent an envoy and set up shop in Jerusalem the the holy city and no one's managed to get them to leave yet so they're, they're basically like everyone's come and gone and come and gone and the armenians have just gone no and they're the only quarter that you can't visit it's it's completely closed there's armed guards at the door mm-hmm. it's a walled community and unless you're armenian you don't go in. That's probably how they've managed to stay there for so long. Yeah, exactly. But they do open up their their church or their chapel, someone told me, for like half an hour, four or five days a week. So you can go past the guards across the opening plaza into this beautiful chapel and then out again. You've got half an hour to, to have a look around. Did you manage and to do that's, that? No, I didn't. Just not enough time. And it was at a certain time each day, uh-huh. so it made it a bit tricky. And that was the, the only steps you could take wow. into the compound. And so, yeah, so that's that's who they are, and that's why their name crops up a bit when you're hearing about Jerusalem. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, tell me a bit about the attractions. What can you do in Jerusalem? Well, there's heaps to do in both the old and the new cities, but we're talking about the old city, so let's 
kind of continue in there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so where I was staying at the Mamila Hotel was just outside the Jaffa Gate. And the Jaffa Gate's also accessible by public transport. There's a tram line that runs through the city or light rail. And that's perfect. You can buy a, like a three day or a seven day card for the public transport. And I found that really handy for traversing Old Town to, to the modern city center and getting around. Yeah, so Jaffa Gate's a great place to start. It's also up near the top of the city. Mm-hmm. So it's a good rule of thumb is if you're ever completely turned around in these narrow streets, if you just keep making the choice to head uphill, eventually you'll find yourself heading towards the Jaffa Gate. Uh-huh. And I found that really, really handy. That was how I got out of being <laughs> lost in, uh, in the midst of things a few times. How many times, Greg? Just a few. <laughs> <laughs> just a few. So, yeah, but just by Jaffa Gate is the Tower of David Museum. And they do a light show here every night, which I never went up to see. But, you know, they project lights on the wall and tell a bit of the story and history of the city. But what was cool about that is they have this amazing panorama of the whole old city, probably the best view of the old city and one of the better ones of the modern city as well. So that's a really great place to start. You pay your fee, you go up, you see the panorama, you can use the, you know, the boards that are there to go, okay, so that's that, that's that, that's that, mm-hmm. and kind of orientate yourself yeah, around. Yeah, kind of like photos with things Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that was really handy. And then as you go out of the museum, you can go through all of the different galleries and see the history of the city. So when you're walking around, you get a bit of a better understanding of what's going on. Because the city's been around, it's one of the the oldest cities in the world. It's been around for thousands of years. So there's a lot of history, a lot of history. And because Judaism has survived and Christianity survived, we've got a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, it was only written down about two and a half thousand years ago. And it's talking about stuff that's much older. But it's been very well preserved, at least that version Mm -hmm. that was written. One version of the history. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. But yeah, it started to be recorded really quite early. And we've held a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's really cool. Between that and archaeology, we know more about this city than other ancient cities. And, I mean, it's a city that's been destroyed and reconstructed and has just had so much. Like you say, it's got so much history, but it's also had such a dense history. As you're saying, it's like one and a half square mm. kilometers, and it all happened right there. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Amazing. Crazy. I also did a, a three-hour walking tour with Sandymans. That was a really good guide. Oh, yeah. She was excellent. And I was doing it with travel bloggers, and I heard one of them say, you know, I've been doing this for five years, and that's the best tour guide we've ever had. I was like, wow. Yeah, it was right up there for me as well. We did this tour and it, it served as the kind of tick the box. Okay, you see most of the important things. But even better for me, it was a real orientation mm-hmm. of the city. And so it meant that over the next few days, when I went back in by myself, I was like, okay, so that's there and that's there. And if I go down here, that gives me that. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it served not only as, interesting historically and culturally it meant we saw most of the things that most people want to see mm-hmm. like the church of the holy sepulchre the western wall the dome on the rock the you know all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but it meant i could find my way around the city myself later on 
So that was a really good thing to do early on. So when I was wandering by myself, I was walking along some of the the old Roman streets and down into the Roman plazas, um, which is kind of quote unquote modern for uh, for some parts of Jerusalem. Uh, I got out to where King David was buried. It was one of the most famous kings in the the Israeli story, and right next to that is where the Last Supper is believed. You know, like in the medieval tradition, mm-hmm. this building is where the the Last Supper was believed to to be had, and they're right next to each other, so that was convenient. <laughs> And then into the the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, because I figured that I couldn't go to Jerusalem and not go there, or if my mum didn't kill me, one of my grandmothers would, because, you know. (laughs) Uh, So this this church was built on the spot that Jesus was crucified and buried and resurrected. So it's... It just seems so amazing to have a building around this. You know, you, you picture the scene and you know, okay, Jesus was crucified outside on a cross, right, on a hill. And then when you're talking about it, you're like, oh, yeah, so I go into the church and then you kind of go up these steps. It's like the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it was it was crazy. But it was like standing there and you're like uh, – and looking over the, the dome on the rock as well. You're standing there and you're going, this is where the world shifted, right? Mm. No matter your your religious belief, you're like the world took a took a turn at this point that it's never – going back from, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, the Zoroastrians were probably monotheists before Abraham, but this is where monotheism became a, a world power, is right there where that, you know, where that dome is. Um, and so, like, the, the Temple Mount, mm-hmm. I should I should finish off with Christianity first, yes. <laughs> and we'll roll back to the others. So, yeah, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it's it's where Christ was, was crucified, and so yeah, you you go in and there's a, a marble plinth there where people are praying. You're like, okay, they're like, well, that's a spot where they put Jesus on when they pulled him off the cross. And you're like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then really? you can go up some stairs and you're on the high point of the hill of Golgotha, which is where he was crucified. And then you can go down some stairs and you're in the underground rock cut tomb where he was laid before being resurrected so you're like well within you know these few hundred meters you're you're covering that momentous event i mean because that happened the way we count time changed Mm -hmm. right so crazy stuff like this is the foundation of modern empire and you know the western world that that's crazy, just yeah. being there. Okay, now you okay, can start so talking j- about Dome on the Rock. J- yeah, bounce over to the Dome on the Rock, which is uh, one of well, it's the holiest site for the Jewish faith, and one of the I think maybe the third most holy for the Islamic faith. Yeah, so this is where Abraham was about to kill his son, when God spoke to him and said that that was a bad idea. You know, like, well, he thought I, that I, God I, had said to I, sacrifice I, yeah, his son, yeah. and then God intervened and said, uh, "No, actually, no, don't, don't do, do that." that. Yeah. And that was kind of the focal point of Judaism happening. Mm-hmm. And that created like Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all refer to that story and all see a Genesis point there. Mm-hmm. So that kind of started the worldwide spread of monotheism. Mm-hmm. Which is having one God. Having, yeah, having one 
got that whole idea. And so the Zoroastrians were doing it over in Persia, Iran. And a lot of those stories are mixed up together if you look at it historically. But uh, it was Judaism and Christianity and then later Islam that really spread it worldwide. And so, yeah, crazy, crazy, just walking around and going, wow, that's... This is where it happened. This is this is it, yeah. And so that was, for me, the biggest emotional takeaway was that feeling of going, huh. So all of those stories that I've read, all of that, you know, all of that stuff, mm-hmm. oh, that was there, or I'm standing on that spot. So jumping out of the old city, I think we've talked about that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I went out to the other side of town where they have the National Museum and the National Library. And in the National Museum, you're there, and this is the valley where the story of David and Goliath took place. So you're like, and that's just a throwaway comment. Yeah. But that's like, one of the major wow. stories of the Old Testament. Yeah, you know, it's one of the... Little David going up against the big bully Goliath and, and getting him down with his, what was it? A, yeah, with a sling. With a sling, yeah. yeah. You know, you're just, once again, turning a corner and accidentally running into, you know, full full smack your face into two and a half thousand years of storytelling. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. So, yeah, so that was crazy. And the museum is excellent as an ex-biblical scholar, (laughs) as an ex-part-time biblical scholar. um, It was really cool going to see the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are there, and they're the earliest earliest extant versions of the Bible that we have, to put it simply, uh, with a whole lot of other writings around it as well. And so that was the highlight of the museum. There was some great, great archaeology done there and great exhibitions. You know, if you've ever read through the Bible or any of these religious books, I think it has this extra layer because you're you're looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls and going, okay, so this is a, a sect that split off from Christianity or was part of early Christianity before it became one kind of power or mm-hmm. one central religious group. And yeah, you're looking at it and just going, wow, this is some of the earliest papyrus writing we have in the world that relates to all of these big religious changes, you know, Mm -hmm. that crossover between Judaism and Christianity. And then you're walking through the the gallery and you're going, oh, here's all the Phoenician stuff they found here. And here's all the the Philistine stuff they found here. And here's all the, and you're just having all these echoes from from Sunday school, Uh right? (laughs) Of going, oh yeah, I remember the, the Israelites fighting those guys. And I remember the, you know. Yeah. And you're going, when they're talking about burning gods and destroying altars, and you're going, oh, and here's what the gods and altars look like because they've dug them out of the ground at the, wow. the point that they destroyed them, right? That's so, amazing. So that was really quite cool from that perspective of putting a physical and a visual memory alongside all of this, yeah. you know, all of these stories. So, yeah, so that was all really cool. And I guess there's there's much more to Jerusalem than the religious history, but Going to the museums and going to the galleries, of course, it, it plays such a big part in it. Mm-hmm. Jerusalem's also big with technology. And so one of the things that I saw there was what they call the Nano Bible. Oh, yeah. So they took the uh, pretty much the, the Old Testament. It's 1.2 million characters of text. And they, they printed it all on a little bit of gold. There was about half a centimeter by half a centimeter 
So it's this tiny little fleck about a quarter of the size of your thumbnail. And it's just this tiny little fleck. And ion by ion, they've chipped away at the, the gold or another layer of metal on top of the gold. But using an ion cannon, they've just stripped out That's amazing. <laughs> ion by ion to actually print everything. They've got it there on this little kind of pedestal. Uh-huh. And they've got a, an electron microscope over the top of it. So you can see the characters. Yeah, and didn't you say that they created a special typeface just for that? Yeah, yeah, they had to because it was <laughs> so, so, so tiny. And so that sits side by side with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Amazing. So it's like the some of the oldest writing and then some of the even older writing, but in a new format. Uh, but in a super new format. That's exciting. So yeah, so that was kind of kind of crazy seeing that side by side. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so we've talked a lot about religion and uh, history and all of this kind of thing. Why don't we talk a little bit about food? Yeah, so food. Because I'm feeling a bit hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So, you know me, instead of food, I just drank wine. So... Yeah, I don't but, think of Israel as a, a major wine producer, but the first thing you did when you arrived, you're like, I've got to go, darling. We're talking on the phone. So I've got my wine tasting. I'm like, what? Oh, my goodness. That's how I, that's how I always sound when I speak on the phone. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> my love. <laughs> so there's a lot of wine in Israel, and a lot of it is truly bad. It's 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 made for use in religious ceremonies, and so it's it, it's sweet and pretty flavorless and it's it's just that's it are you saying the gods don't get good wine (laughs) or maybe they have different tastes i am saying that the you have to make something that that everyone can drink um for your religious ceremonies but recently in the last kind of 20 years they've really made a big change and and started doing the types of wine that people around the world would like to drink Mm -hmm. and so that's been a a huge change for them and in uh, the Mimila hotel where i was they had this amazing wine bar with about 120 different wines from around israel that's cool and also a couple of champagnes but apart from those couple of bottles of champagne all of the wine they had was israeli wine only israeli wine and the staff there were so well-trained and so onto it that you could go and talk to them and go, well, I, I like this style of wine and this is what I normally drink. And they'd be able to go and go through the bottles and pull out something that was going to fit what you wanted to drink. So that was really cool. And the wine bar there is open kind of evenings, like mm-hmm. five till eight, and then it turns into a bit of a club. Okay. But during the during the evening, like after work, that's staffed by sommeliers and, and well-trained wine staff. And then there's a cigar lounge right next to it. And so you can, you know, mix your mix your pleasures. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so that was really cool. I should say a few other words about the Mamila as well because they had an amazing restaurant at the top of their building, like a rooftop bar restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool as well. And the same sommelier that worked in the wine bar did the wine list for the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so that was great. And then downstairs, they had this amazing modern gym and spa center and wellness center with a a wellness bar. So if you don't like wine so much and would prefer some nutritious snacks or drinks, (laughs) you could go over to the wellness bar and spa. But you you didn't, did you? I I didn't, no, no. (laughs) Um, They're like, 
We have this award-winning spa, and Condé Nast just put it on the list of the top 10 spas in the world. I'm like, did you say there was a wine bar? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I guess it's a Muppet. Yeah. So, you know, but it's, it's perfect for, for those family groups or those friends traveling together where one person would prefer wine and one person would prefer a spa treatment. Sure. And I think that comes up. All the time. I think so. <laughs> so what kind of food did you have at the restaurant? And you also um, went out and, and ate with a lot of other people outside of the um, Yeah, yeah, we, as well. we ate all over the place. And the food is kind of a, a mix of everything in that region, but lots of falafel, lots of hummus, uh, lots of those kinds of chickpea-based flavors mm-hmm. and lentil-based flavors and bean-based flavors done in different ways. Uh, there's a whole lot of religious laws about what's kosher and not kosher. So you hardly see something like a cheeseburger anywhere mm-hmm. because according to Jewish religious law, you can't put meat and dairy on the same table or even have those, you know, like inhabiting the same cooking space. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the big changes was like a lot of places that were kind of international facing were They'd have burgers, but I never, ever saw a cheeseburger. That's interesting. So, yeah. So, that was weird. And the the best meal I had was at the YMCA. Of course it was. And I know I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I know weird. what you're thinking. <laughs> but the, the YMCA in Jerusalem is not like any other YMCA I've ever seen anywhere in the world. Uh, it was built by the same guy that uh, designed the Empire States Building in New York City. Uh-huh. So it's got this amazing tower with this kind of art deco look going all the way up. But then that designer was actually a a religious symbols nut. Uh And he was given the instruction to create a building that represented all three of those Abrahamic faiths. So it had to tie in religious symbols from Judaism, from Christianity, and from Islam and connect them together. So everywhere you're going, you're seeing like uh, Byzantine arches uh, with an Islamic-style floral motif on it. But then when you look closely, hidden inside that motif is little crosses and stars of David inside of that. That's really cool. Whoa, and then you've got some of the most amazing architecture I've ever seen. And if you're going to be there, just... Go and go and see that building as well. Mm-hmm. You know, walk out of Jaffa Gate, go to Mamilla, and then you go down the road, and you're there. And it's just crazy. You can uh, do a tour of the building, and you can actually go up the clock tower, which is really cool. And then you get this beautiful view. I said the Tower of David Museum probably had the best view of the old city, and Mamilla has a great view of the old city and some of the new city, and then. YMCA is kind of the opposite. You get a great view of the the new city, and then the old city is, you know, kind of just beyond you, but you can mm-hmm. still see Mount of Olives and, and all the, the big churches and mosques and things that are all around it. So, yeah, amazing, amazing building. Anyway, we were having lunch there, and I got to taste all of the food from the whole region because that's the chef's real passion was – Okay, we need to bring in food that represents yes this this place right here, yes Jerusalem, but also represent all of the people that have come here. And so, yeah, you're getting kind of 
grilled meat, fresh salads, hummuses, all that kind of stuff. And one dish which was quite unusual is this upside-down chicken and rice dish. Uh-huh. And so they they grill some thinly cut chicken breast, and then they put vegetables on top of that in the same pan, and they put rice in on top of that inside the same pan. And kind of compress and it down. Put a, yeah, and put a, put a lid on it and let it cook all together. Uh-huh. And then when they, they serve it, they bring out this round-bottom pan, and it's served upside down on the table. Uh-huh. And so you, you lift up the saucepan, and then underneath is this mound of rice and vegetables and chicken. That's cool. So that was, yeah. Was it delicious? Was, it was. Mm. Oh, gosh. It was all so delicious. And I guess I'm kind of missing the the fine details of the different sauces and the different blends and the different mixes. But altogether, it was, yeah, just Amazing. fantastic. And you you couldn't eat enough, mm-hmm. I don't think. And I want to say that traditionally, I have not liked falafel. I try it every couple of years and go, nope, that's good. Still don't I'm, like falafel. I'm fine without that. But uh, the falafel that I had there it dipped in some hummus with some, you know, olive oil and, yeah, spices. It was delicious. I don't know what everyone else is doing wrong, but that was really good and the only time that I've enjoyed eating falafel. Yeah, food was good, interesting. I don't know if it's what I expected, but what really surprised me there was the wines and the developing wine industry and and wine culture, and there's some delicious stuff there. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we've pretty much got to the end of the time we have for this show, so let's finish up there. Is there anything else you want to say about Jerusalem before we finish up? Oh, man, I just say give give it a chance. Give it a go. I was a bit unsure about going, and not because of safety reasons but more because of all the the complexity of my feelings towards my idea of it Mm -hmm. and then when I went a lot of that kind of got stripped away and a lot of my expectations that were set by the media were kind of dissolved by speaking to people I'd I'd definitely say go give it a go it's a a fascinating city they're doing a lot of good stuff at a, a local level politically dealing with all the the issues that are there so yeah just go and go and experience it and and see these sites awesome well we'd like to say thanks to our sponsor alliance global assistance and if you are going to jerusalem obviously it's an amazing place and you should definitely go based on craig's recommendation but do make sure you get travel insurance yeah if you're in the states check out alliance's website alliancetravelinsurance.com or just do a search for Alliance Global Assistance and your country name to find them locally for you. Cool, I hope you enjoyed that show. Over the next few days, we are going to be hiking the Milford Track, which is, I don't know, a life goal, a life yeah. highlight. We're just so excited about it and the, the opportunity to go and hike in this pristine environment. And we're going with a bunch of friends. I'm just looking forward to everything about it except for the temperature. Yes, it's really cold. I mean... We couldn't believe it. We got down to Christchurch about a week ago, and it was beautiful and sunny, and we went and visited um, the new memorial for the earthquake victims. Several years ago, there was a big earthquake in Christchurch, and I think about 185 people died. It's one of New Zealand's top 10 worst disasters. It's, it's shocking. But uh, we went to see this new memorial, and it was really nice and beautiful sunny day. The next day, the temperature dropped about 15 degrees, and I've been cold ever since. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Like we've had to take our jackets off because they're like synthetic material and they rustle a lot when you stand. So mm-hmm. we took our, our jackets off to to do this recording, and we're standing here in our, our woolen and synthetic thermal tops with t-shirts over the top and linda's got a scarf on and we're both hugging ourselves and and staying warm it's it's cold down here at this time of mm-hmm. year but it's the sky is blue and it's crystal clear and it's going to be great and we're going to go to the hot springs here in Hanmer springs probably in about 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah got to find some way to get warm again awesome well that's us for this week until next time travel well